Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. We're with you for another week to talk about the Tampa Bay real estate market here on the Duncan Duo Show. I'm Andrew Duncan, the Duncan Duo Remax, joined by Mike Corrigan with Cross Country Mortgage. And if you haven't been paying attention to real estate, it's been quite uh, quite the environment as of late. Uh, very hot market. Very few homes coming on the market. Most of the homes in mid-level and higher price ranges uh, getting bidding wars. Uh, bidding wars are rampant, people paying above asking, people removing contingencies, and buyers doing everything they creatively can to keep up with the population growth, the people moving here, uh, to be able to win out on a home. And Mike, I think there's no question that trend is going to continue. The builders are not able to keep up with the demand that we have in the Tampa Bay area. So it's going to be a kind of an inverted towards the seller's favor uh, supply and demand curve for quite some time. It, yeah, it certainly is. There's no end in sight with the the supply demand dynamic that we have right now. Um, matter of fact, I saw a, a statistic this week that the millennials, the biggest group of the millennials are actually at age 29 right now, based on just pure demographics. And with the average first time home buyer buying at 32 or 33 years um, of age, statistically, this is probably going to continue for several uh, um, years, um, even with the increased supply that'll come on with the builders catching up. Yeah, and I think the key to a lot of this is that other parts of the country aren't necessarily experiencing the same thing. Um, a lot of them are, but there are areas where population is declining. Right. Um, and, and you know, we're obviously not one of those. We we have a you know strong population growth. We didn't get hit with a lot of um, you know weather obstacles. We, um, you know, we, we, we just didn't get cold. We don't get the snow. We don't have all the things that cause people, you know, to want to retire. And then you, you add on COVID that allowed people to realize they could, um, uh, effectively retire and move sooner to Florida. And then you add on the, uh, the political environment, people that, uh, maybe didn't like, um, how their local or state governments handled COVID or the lockdowns. And, and th that's the feedback we're getting. You know, when we pull and ask the customers that are moving here, say, hey, what is it that's bringing you here? Time and again, um, those are the things that we're hearing. We're hearing weather, we're hearing COVID and the freedom to work from anywhere remotely, and, and we're hearing politics. So those things have pushed these people here, and, and the trend is just going to continue. We're going to continue to see a super hot real estate market. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's everything has been aligning. We've talked a lot about it on the show about how good of an area and how desirable of an area Tampa Bay is right now. And I think there are keys that a um, a buyer can pay attention to to help differentiate their offer. And, and we're seeing a lot of savvy agents do this where they're removing contingencies. They're writing letters to the seller. Yeah. They're, they're doing videos for the seller. They're trying to find the seller on social media. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to do everything they can to differentiate the offer. Um, but, you know, but the reality is that while that will work with some, pe some people, there are still plenty of sellers out there that what matters most to them is the bottom line, the dollar amount and the terms. And, and unfortunately, you can do all the great letters and videos you want, but there are times where cash is going to be king, a fast closing is going to be king, and you're going to lose out even if you have the most emotionally connecting way uh, with the seller, they're going to choose, you know, the math. Uh, and, and so, you know, one thing that I think gets mistaken a lot 
Um, a lot of buyers will tell their agent, well, let's just go ahead and make this lower offer because I think it's going to be, you know, maybe I get lucky. Well, there really isn't a whole lot of luck in today's real right. estate market. It just ain't happening. Or uh, let them counter me or they're going to do a highest and best anyway, so I'll make my decision then. And what I'm seeing more often than not is that sometimes, sometimes the seller isn't doing highest and best. Sometimes the seller is saying, you know what, I'm going to go with these people and counter them directly because I like their offer. I like their terms. So, so there's no tried and true way. It's up to the seller. Sometimes it will be a highest and best. Sometimes they counter one person. Sometimes they accept an offer. And, and there really isn't any consistency amongst that. It's, it's chosen directly by the seller. So a lot of agents and their customers, I think, make mistakes because they think, you know what, I'm going to wait because I know I'm going to get another shot because they're going to do a highest and best. And then they simply choose not to do one. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot of times in, you know, in that price range, maybe 250 to 400, there's so many offers being written that it, there may be, they might be only pick and go back to, you know, there might be 30 officer, offers written. I hear all these stories about this stuff. They may only go back to the top five and say highest and best and, and just throw away those other 25. So your point is, is very well taken and you should go in with, what you're, what you are going to go after and not play the negotiating game. Yeah. And, but a lot of people make that mistake and they think, right. Oh, well, I'm going to get another shot at it. And they come in too low. They don't come yeah. in aggressive enough. And then they don't ever get another shot. And it's, it really is discouraging because unfortunately our agents sometimes go into this process armed with all the data, all the information, all the tactics, the client doesn't listen. And then the client misses out on the home that they really wanted, their first choice, and they end up settling because they didn't listen to, to the advice or because they, you know, they wanted to offer a couple thousand dollars too low and then they end up up in their price and paying more for a house than they really wanted to spend. The, the reality is that a lot of times you're in, your, your initial instinct on which house you want is the right one and you've got to, you, you've really got to come stronger. You've got to come with a stronger offer, a better prequal, quicker terms, um, and listen to your agent because they know how to navigate through this. And, and too, many, too many people are not listening to their agent who's gone through all these bidding war scenarios, who's lost out on houses for their customers. And then they're so discouraged that they lost out. But, but the reality is they lost out because they didn't listen. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's so important. And we've talked a lot about it on the show is to work with a professional real estate agent, like somebody from the Duncan duo, make sure you have a solid pre-approval up front so that when you are going and you find that house that you want to get, you put yourself in the best chance to be able to actually get it. Yeah. And, and I think the other, the other reality is that not only are you putting yourself best financially, but you know, with a good agent, they're taking those creative steps. They're helping you write a letter. They're helping you come up with terms that are going to be amenable. They're, they're helping you do research. How can you build rapport with the seller? How can you do a video that maybe, you know, introduces yourself to the seller to maybe utilize something else you have that you can bring to the table that you can't get through in a contract that might cause that seller to, uh, you know, to accept your offer. And, and I know I've talked about it before, but letters, you know, a, a, a written letter, yes. typed out letter to the seller about what that house means to their family, what they love about it, complimenting the sellers, stroking their ego, uh, letting them know if they know a neighbor, if they know someone in common, if they went to the same college, um, if they have a, 
a a job that's uh, you know viewed positively uh, in in the world. You know, doctors, p- police officers, lawyers. Okay, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> doctors, police officers, <laughs> uh, firemen. Uh, you know, but in all reality, you know, you want to use that letter as an opportunity to build rapport. The other thing is taking it to another level with video, yeah, because video. then they see your they see your personality. They may see they may recognize you from the gym. They may know your kids. Your kids may have played sports with them, but they never really spoke to you. Um, you know, you may have really ugly kids. They might feel sorry for you. You know, you just never know what could come out and, and help you uh, win an offer. And those are tactics that we use. And and again, those things aren't going to win it all in an in and of itself. Sometimes it's about the math. It's the money. It's the terms. It's how quick you can make something happen. Um, you know, there there are a lot of times that a letter or a video can't overcome it. But we've learned that there are plenty of sellers that are less concerned about bottom line and more concerned about connection and the person that's going to live in that home and be a neighbor of their friends after they leave. So, so there are tactics. Um, but again, I see a lot of lazy realtoring out there. Yeah. Somebody will send a, somebody will send an offer with uh, no pre-approval, no letter, nothing convincing, knowing full well that the house that they made an offer on is likely going to have a whole slew of offers and they do nothing to differentiate it. Uh, and, and they have really standard basic language and, and they don't do anything to make their offer stand out. That, that's the thing. When you have so many offers on a house, you know, an example is if, if I am, you know, communicating with the seller and I'm presenting all these offers, let's just say there's 27 offers, right? You're going to have about half of those that are probably very close to the same relatively standard, basic, a, a lot of this, a lot of similarities, nothing stands out about them. If you can do things to make your offer stand out, you have a greater chance. Things like a video, things like a letter, um, things like, um, you know, instead of offering 195,000, offering $196,127.92, because then they're going to look at that and they're going to think, wow, they put some work into that. That's a little different. Let me, let me look at this one. You know, these are my, these two people are super analytical. Those are my kind of people. You just, you just don't know. But, but again, if you don't have an agent that's using all of these tools in the toolbox, you're going to miss out. You're not going to get an offer accepted. And, uh, and, and it, and it stinks, you know, because you're going to want that house and you're going to have to settle for something else. Yeah, absolutely. So again, that's pretty much the state of the market right now. You know, it's, it's competitive. There aren't very many homes for sale in most price ranges and neighborhoods. Um, the sellers know they have the upper hand. Prices are rising dramatically. Homes are selling for above appraisal values and buyers are making up the difference because if they don't, they may not be able to find a house or get a house because of how competitive it is. So you just, you, you really do have to go into the process of buying a home with a strategy about how to win in today's market. Gone are the days where you can just make an offer on a house and get a counter from the seller and expect to work it out. That's just right. you and far between right now. And there's no really, and we said this, but there's no really end in sight. Like we don't anticipate this state of the market changing anytime soon um, because it, the supply and demand dynamic just does is going to continue to stay where there's going to be low inventory with a ton of demand. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's, it's one of the things in the last couple of years that, you know, I, I've had conversations with developers that will remain unnamed, <laughs> but very frustrating conversations with them that they decided to build apartments instead of condos. Uh. And, and now I'm certain I'm 100% certain that they regret that dramatically because, you know, they can't just turn that around now. 
because of the need for inventory and how much of a premium stuff is selling for now a year or two later than when they made those plans. But builders are not going to be able to keep up. They're not going to be able to generate enough inventory. They're not going to get through the permitting process fast enough right. to turn stuff around because that in and of itself is burdened with, you know, not, not enough people, not quick enough turns, um, you know, taking too long, too much minutia um, that, that you're just not going to be able to, builders aren't going to create enough inventory to turn it around. And, and frankly, people don't really want to leave here like, like they have in the past. We're not seeing a loss of population. So people aren't selling their homes. And even the ones that think about upgrading are worried about putting their house on the market. It's like a, it's it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. It's right. a snowball. They they it's don't want to put their circle. house on the market because right. then they're afraid they won't be able to find one. So yeah. anyway, hope hopefully these tips are helpful for you to help you. Um, if you're looking to buy a home, we'd love the opportunity to help you and use some of these creative tactics. You can hit us up at the Duncan Duo on any of our socials. Um, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat at the Duncan duo. And uh, Mike and I are going to be back after a quick break, continuing our conversation about the Tampa Bay real estate market. So we're back here on the Duncan duo show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. Andrew Duncan with the Duncan duo and Mike Corrigan with cross country mortgage. We talked in the first segment about how hot the Tampa Bay market is and how little supply of homes we have. And there may be help on the way, hopefully, because, Mortgage refinance demand, Mike, is down 43% from a year ago. A year ago, a whole lot more people, a whole lot more people refinancing and likely committing to staying in their homes because of the fear over COVID and everything going on and interest rates being so low. People saw that as an opportunity to uh, save monthly money. And it was prompting some people to stay put into their homes because the they didn't want to move so quickly after refinancing because they just spent all the money and the closing cost on refinance. However, what I'm hopeful for is that now that the refinance demand has slowed down and maybe interest rates are t ticking up a little bit, the sellers that were staying put, um, you know, will, will now instead of or not staying put, the sellers that were refinancing uh, now have enough time that have passed. They've monitored rates. Rates are they're not going to get anything better by refinancing. And now I'm hopeful that that will promote some of them to sell their home and move on. Yeah, rates certainly have ticked up. There's been because of inflation fears, they have gone up, um, you know, it, it, pretty dramatically in the past, you know, four to six weeks. And, you know, they're still it, in big history. They're very, very low. Right. We're in like sure. the low threes instead of the high twos. So in the grand scheme of things are extremely low, but they're higher than they than the low twos. And so a lot of people, you're right, are um, in a position now where they may decide to sell instead of buy. And we have seen you know, some people that were sort of in the money with the refinance now have fallen kind of out of that window and are going to see what the future holds. And here's the funny part about this. And this is it's so contrary to what you might think is logic here for a second. When interest rates bump up, yep. it, the opposite happens of what you think. Correct. Because what we think is that, oh, interest rates are going to go up, so people are going to get out of the market. Well, typically, the amount of interest rates that we're talking going up, it's not like interest rates are doubling. Right. I mean, they're, they're bumping up right. a quarter point here, you know, half point They're They're bumping up a little bit. Right. For the most part, it's not causing somebody's inability to, to purchase, but they've been waiting and waiting and waiting, sitting on the fence, waiting to buy, waiting to sell and thinking, well, maybe they'll go lower. Well, maybe they'll go lower. And when they start to trickle up, that's the sign that guess what? That's over. And now they don't want them to go up so high that it makes it 
unrealistic for them to do what they want to do. So it, it motivates people. So, so the, the reality is that when interest rates are going down, sometimes they're going down so much that it causes people to just assume they're going to go down forever. When right. they start trickling back in the other direction, it prompts people to jump off the fence for fear. Because as, one thing I've learned in real estate, and, it, and it's um, you know, contrary to, to what some people might think, people are more motivated by fear than they are anything else. The fear yeah. of being in a bad school district, the fear of their kids growing up in a bad area, the fear of their dog not having room to play in the backyard, the fear of interest rates getting unaffordable for them. And they don't have that fear when interest rates just keep dropping. Yeah, as my teenage daughter would say, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. So they jump Bingo. in and actually gets people off the fence and gets them in to make decisions to move. Because when they're so low for so long, like they were, people think it's going to last forever. And then all of a sudden there's a change for it. And then they're like, oh boy, I got to jump in and do whatever I'm going to do and do it now. And you're, you're exactly right. It's the opposite of what most people think. We've actually seen a tick up in business um, overall. And, um, you know, so we'll, I think we'll continue to see that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, again, we're due for a, a uh, very, very healthy summer. Um, and, and oh, even yeah. if interest rates are a little higher, we're going to see uh, demand continue to sky skyrocket, population growth to continue. And I think all of that coincides with more opening up of the economy, of travel, of tourism, um, of, of you know, industries that have been kind of shuttered by COVID. Those start operating again. And, and, and I think, you know, I was looking at statistics not long ago, and I, and I think I saw Somewhere around 25% of the population in Florida now is vaccinated. Um, wow. you know, major, majority of that is is elderly, the people in the worst, um, you know, in the in the in the most risk category. So as more as as more of that happens, as more people get vaccinated, um, you're going to have uh, you know a a comfortability with people just going out and doing more things and and spending money doing things they hadn't been doing. And I think all of that bodes well for a real estate market that is prime for, you know, continued appreciation, continued sales growth, um, you know, and, and dramatic population growth. Yeah, it's it's my opinion, a lot of others, that there's so much pent up demand that people have of things they haven't been able to do over the last year that soon as, you know, like you said, every day it gets a little bit better. More people get vaccinated. We're closer to the herd immunity. People are going to get out there and do all the things that they've wanted to do, whatever their likes and interests were. And it, I, I think you're going to see a huge boom. Yeah, I, there's no question about it. And again, does that mean everywhere? Look, if you're in town right now for spring break from another part of the country listening to the show and you're wondering whether or not you want to move to Tampa, first off, you should because it's the best city in the country, in my opinion. I'm biased, though. <laughs> but 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 the reality is that our real estate market is is in incredible shape, and that is just not the case uh, throughout the country. It just isn't. And and there are there are parts of the country that are losing population, that have higher taxes, that are that are, um, you know, set up with with, um, you know, lots of restrictions and different things that have slowed the real estate market. And Florida is just, you know, getting a huge bounce from it. So anyway, we're going to continue this conversation after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo show. Andrew Duncan with the Duncan Duo at Remax, Mike Corrigan with Cross Country Mortgage. And the move to suburbia is underway in Tampa Bay. I think throughout the country, we've seen with COVID, with people's ability to work from home and not want to contend with traffic and not have to drive into the office, and with just where is available vacant land to build. Right. Um, you know, all of that 
has has combined to make the suburbs in Tampa Bay some of the hottest real estate markets, uh, not just locally, but in the country because of people's ability to work from home remotely, uh, from their ability to, um, you know, live anywhere, avoid traffic, get more house for the money, get more smart home features, because that's, that's what happens with new construction. So all of these things are fueling a dramatic growth in suburbs. And, and I think there's one thing, and I'm going to touch on it briefly, but I don't want to get into politics too much. But in case you weren't paying attention, we just had a really polarizing election. And unfortunately, I think politics does a lot more dividing than it does uniting. And, and I think because of how this, this election went, it caused people that like the city and people that like the country to go further and further to the side that they like. So you're having more and more people that um, you know, are conservative, for example, say, you know what, I want to be out in the country, I want to be in suburbia, I don't want to be in a city anymore because of how contentious and polarizing and dramatic the election was. Um, I believe that that has fueled people also moving to the suburbs. So there's just so many things pointing in that direction. Um, and, and then you add on top of it, uh, the, this concept with millennials that, you know, they want smart home features that older resale homes don't have where you're getting that affordably is in the suburbs here. We call it brain Rico view, Brandon Riverview, <laughs> Balrico. You got right. Lutz and Odessa. You've got these outlying areas That's all around trying. Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all those, you know, all those areas are growing because of all of these things. So there's no, there's not one of those. Um, you know, there's not one of those things that's driving it the most all combined are just fueling a dramatic growth in the suburbs in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And so many of these communities are being built are huge communities that have everything you need. Right. And they're building it out there because they know that people want to stay out there and, and, and avoid the traffic. And so some of them are really, really impressive and have, you know, amenities and grocery stores and shopping and things all around, um, you know, as we continue to build outward. Well, and you're right, because that's the other thing millennials want. The, the, the toughest part when you when you look at and engage millennials and look, I'm not a millennial. I, I, it's, uh, bye bye being a millennial. I'm way past it. But we have a lot of them in the workforce and we have a lot of millennial customers. And let me tell you, like what they look for and what is attracting them to the suburbs. Um, it, you know, it's it's the smart home features. It's the um, you know, how everything looks nice. The the um, the lower maintenance on a newer home and in a yes. newer community where there's more upkeep, uh, but also those amenities that you mentioned, they want everything in one place. They want a gym right there in the community. They want a pool right there in the community so they can meet their friends and neighbors. They want a grill out area. They want a sport court. They kind of want that all encumbering, um, you know, all everything all in one spot, and you know that convenience factor. And more and more millennials, more so than my generation, your generation, Mike, we've gotten comfortable with working from home, right. even though it wasn't the norm. It's going to be the norm and has been the norm for them. So they kind of they kind of want to stay home. It's why you're seeing less and less of an interest in, um, you know, cars and the automotive industry for millennials, because many of them, you know, grew up and, and they're, they're just going to end up being, you know, n never driving. You know, they're going to use public <laughs> right. transportation. They're going to use Uber. Right. So, so the reality is, is that those types of communities that have everything for them that don't require them to go anywhere are perfect. That's what they want. Yep, absolutely. And I think that 
that continues to fuel the the suburban um, growth. And when we talk about the growth of suburbia, realistically, we're mostly talking about new construction or newer construction. Yeah, they're definitely um, newer homes, you know, in, in, in those areas. And, um, you know, people don't want to be driving back into the cities and they continue to move out there. And, you know, you keep hearing more and more companies, you know, announcing that they're going to make it permanent, that people can work from home or, you know, a hybrid approach, maybe not five days a week, two days a week and everything else. And so um, you're just going to see, I think this, th what this has taught us that more people are going to work from home. Um, they can do so. And it's going to make those communities even, you know, higher in demand. Well, and, and here's the other thing that I think is is uh, super valuable when you're when you're weighing all of that on top of everything we've spoke about, but the monetary and financial benefits of buying a newer home, and and we've talked about this before, Mike. But when we talk about this move to suburbia, you, you're talking about single family homes typically. Um, you're talking about newer homes, and and in addition to all the things that we talked about, there's a financial benefit of buying in suburbia and buying a newer home. The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, lower maintenance costs and lower insurance costs from the jump. Um, you know, a newer home is going to be cheaper to insure than a home built 40 years ago. And, and so buyers of new construction homes get a, you know, an immediate financial relief compared to buying a resale home when the insurance is cheaper and when the maintenance is cheaper on that home because it's newer. So, so there's, there's that element. They're also, they also tend to be uh, more inexpensive on utilities because they have better insulation. You know, they're up to right. a higher code on insurance. So they're a little bit safer from that standpoint. Um, and, and of course, property taxes, a, a little known secret, a lot of people don't pay attention to, but in your first year of ownership, typically, it depends on the, the month that you buy. I won't get into that because I could talk all day about it, <laughs> right. but, but typically the first year of ownership, you're paying taxes on the land. Um, so, and, and again, if you escrow, your lender is going to decide that if you don't escrow, then you know, you're paying your own taxes and your tax bill is generally going to be cheaper when you first buy a house because it hasn't been assessed as a home yet. Yeah. So there's yep. a lot of financial benefits for new construction. Any, anything else, Mike, I mean, you can think of financially, you know, <laughs> yeah, with, I mean with the drive to suburbia. Yeah, it's just the overall, I mean, you, you said it, but the overall efficiencies of not just, you know, most of things, simple things like LED lights, the more efficient, um, you know, air conditioning unit, the smart, uh, you know, more smart features in the home. So it actually helps protect energy and everything being newer and whatnot on a home that's maybe 40 or 50 years old is, you know, it's going to add up those pennies turn into dollars and turns into, you know, tens and hundreds of dollars that, that you're going to save over the course of time um, and being in there. And then just the overall you know, maintenance and upkeep that between a home that's maybe, you know, five or 10 years home old between something that's 50 years old, it's two different worlds. You know, and I'll tell you, there's, there's one other thing that we're forgetting here and it's, it's the electric grid and the cell phone grid and all these things that, you know, technology matters to people, the wiring right. in the house, yeah. you know, better, better Wi-Fi in a newer home and, and electric cars. Look, uh, the day is going to come where, and it, I hope it's not my lifetime. Cause I just love gas powered <laughs> car. I love this. Yeah. I love the smell. I love the roar of an engine. I, I'm not an electric car guy. Okay. But the day is coming where the majority of the cars driving around America are going to be electric. And guess what? A lot of older homes, the, the power in them can't support, uh, the, the electrical system in them can't support, uh, you know, car charging setups and, and all these different, you know, generators and all the different things that electric cars need to run. 
you know, so so the newer houses can accommodate that. You know, someone wants a Tesla and they want to be able to plug into their house. A little bit more challenging to retrofit that into a really old home than it is to buy a new home and have it already plugged in, ready to go. Um, and, and I think a lot of governments throughout the country are crediting builders and giving builders incentives to put those things in place. So I think you're going to see it happen more and more. Yeah, and another thing, and this doesn't necessarily have to do as much with cost, but in the newer communities, just the power lines, when you talk about the power grid, they're generally buried Buried, instead of being above ground. And so when we do go through hurricane season or we have storms, you're going to have more reliability with your power. Yeah, that's something like where I live now in South Tampa, they're in the process of of burying all the power lines. In fact, it reminds me I need to call the guy because I have to sign some sort of easement to, right. to have it to have it done. But nonetheless, that's another thing. You're right, where the power lines are buried. When we get into storm season, you're less likely to lose power. You're less likely to have a down power line, or God forbid, um, you know, an electrical uh, electrocution incident right. from storm yep. or anything like that. So, so the again, just lots of reasons why people are looking at newer homes. Now, look. You can't replace. You can't move into these newer homes and replace the charm of you know older communities. You you can't. And and a lot of older communities tend to have established school districts and norms and you know athletic programs at the schools and you know more maybe more restaurant development than some of the newer communities. But I'll tell you, I think locally, you're seeing restaurants and developers and commercial real estate opportunities you know really really grow up around suburbia because they see that that's where the people are moving so it won't be long you know to where you got a chick-fil-a and a starbucks and a Publix right around the corner you know i remember when we put our building um when we bought our building on south del Mabry, close to the air force base um the chick-fil-a was just about to open uh, and it was going to be like the very first thing in that shopping center at, at Gandhi and Del Mabry. And now all over south of Gandhi, you have restaurants popping up and, um, you know, little delis and and just new businesses forming around the people moving there. That same thing is going to happen in suburbia. It's just going to keep spreading. And and I think you're going to see more and more developers recognize and say, OK, this community isn't done yet, but it's coming. Let's get ahead of it. Let's go ahead and put our, uh, you know, our restaurant, our our gas station, our deli, our grocery store. Let's go ahead and put that in now. Yeah, one thing history does tell us and will still hold true is the businesses and the restaurants and all those places, they will go where the people go. Correct. So as they go out into the suburbs and farther out, they're going to go out there as well in order to serve them. And that's what we want. That's what the millennials want. That's what they they need to have out there. And they're going to, you know, they're going to meet that demand. So we're going to talk in our last segment. We've got about, about six minutes left in the show in the last segment. Mike, here's what we're going to talk about next. What are the things over the next few years that Tampa Bay needs as a community, as an area? Um, some of it will be a little tongue-in-cheek, but, <laughs> but, um, but in reality, there's some things I think Tampa Bay needs to really focus on the next few years as our population grows. Um, some things we need to pay attention to as a community, as an area to get done, or else we're going to end up making – you know, big mistakes like uh, parts of California where they they didn't plan the grid good enough. They didn't do enough things to prepare for the electric grid. The traffic is a nightmare. All of these things, and it appears Tampa Bay is working on it. When you drive through Tampa and St. Pete, you see road construction going on and all these things, but there's still some things we can do better. And, um, you know, I want to get your thoughts and I'll give a few of mine about what does Tampa Bay need to continue to be one of the greatest cities uh, in America, because I, I think we're there now, but but we're going to get even better. So we'll be back after a quick break to wrap up with what does Tampa Bay need 
to keep being one of those great cities after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. And uh, we're going to spend this last segment talking about what does Tampa Bay need? Look, we've got winning sports teams. We've got great weather, great beaches. We've got a great economic environment. Um, you know, all of these things are pointing in the direction of Tampa continuing to grow. Um, but Mike, we, we've got to keep, we've got to keep working on infrastructure. Yes. Um, our city in Tampa and, and over in Pinellas County and in Pasco, if, if the local government isn't paying enough attention to this population growth and real estate boom, it may surpass the steps that they've already taken to improve our roadways, improve our traffic, improve our electrical grid. These are all things that need to continue to happen for Tampa to be one of those desirable places that attracts people like Tom Brady, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that that's my number one thing is, is you know, they are doing it. They're paying attention to it with the Water Street program downtown or, you know, project downtown. But is we need to make sure the infrastructure maintains and that we continue to invest in it and keep moving forward. And I think if we stay on the track and continue to do that, then we're going to be in good shape for, to handle the population growth in a way that we've been accustomed for the people that have been here in the city to be able to enjoy over the past several years and decades. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know what else Tampa Bay needs, Mike? Tell me. White Castles. <laughs> Tampa Bay needs White Castles. Look, I, so I got a funny story, just being, just being real for a second. Um, my, being from Indiana, White Castles is a big deal. My dad has been in and out of the hospital the last few months. He's had a lot of health issues. And I literally drove two hours to Orlando to pick up White Castles, and it closed the day before, and I didn't see the news release. Oh, no. Because my, because apparently there's a White Castles opening, and it, it it apparently got shut down because it couldn't keep up with demand. And um, so I wasn't able to get him White Castles. Uh, so it's their fault. One needs to come to Tampa Bay. No, but but in all honesty, the other thing that needs to come to Tampa Bay is In-N-Out Burger. Yes, yes. That, yes. We need an In-N-Out. We need, a, we, we, we need an In-N-Out, and we need a White Castles. It's almost lunchtime for me, so that's probably <laughs> why I'm hungry and I'm talking about this stuff. But the reality is there there are um, you know, there are some things that are just admired and incredible in other parts of the country that need to come to Tampa Bay. And I joke about, you know, White Castle and, and In N Out Burger. Uh, but there are other, you know, things and I'm sure you growing up where you grew up, are there any restaurants up there? Well, so um, we had White Castles, but I only thought people went there after midnight to to go to White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> was from, from where I am in, from in Cleveland. But the In N Out Burger, I mean, that has such a cult following. And but you know, I don't even know the closest one to us i'm not sure if there's one east of the mississippi um, i don't think so yeah you know but I, you know i go out west and you know have friends and family go out west they always seem to post on social media you know them at it in an out burger and uh you know i i finally got a chance to, to try one a few years ago in san francisco and it's it, it's pretty darn good so i wouldn't mind you, having you, those you know well. what else we need while i'm talking on food we need some really good authentic taco shops okay yeah S san diego you know which is where my wife's from and and we oh, we, we visit quite a bit not during the rona you know, we're, we're staying at home right now, but eventually we'll spend more time out there and little small little taco shops that look like, you know, nothing, but make the most incredible, authentic Mexican food. We, I, we just, we don't get that here. So I, I would love to see some, some of that continue here. Um, the, another thing that I think, um, you know, Tamp, you know, we look, and we've got a lot of great things, man. I'm not taking it for granted. We got winning sports teams. We got a great, we just have so many, so many great things, um, you know, in Tampa Bay, but, but look, there's always little things that can be better. We need an NBA basketball team, Mike. 
Right. We got to have an NBA basketball team. The Tampa look, man, Raptors? It, or, yeah, or... man. To, you, know, who, you know, I know, look, Toronto's staying in Toronto because they have a cult-like following. They're not, they're not going anywhere. Like, they, they are not going anywhere. But I, would, I think that that would provide so much growth here. Um, I, I think that, you know, I've gone to a bunch of the Raptors games. They start up in another few days, and I'll be going to a bunch more. I'm, I'm a big basketball fan. I played in college. I still play today. As much as I hobble my 40s, you know, old 40s body around, I still play today. And I just love the game. And, and I feel like it's a sport that's on the climb. Um, there's so much that comes from a professional sports team. I think our area can handle it. And, and look, you know, fortunately, I get tickets to the Lightning to a lot of the Raptors games. But, but I bought some personally as well. And they sold out like in minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they sold out so fast that, you know, the demand is there for people that want to go to, so, so I would love to see Tampa Bay get an NBA team. You know, when, before COVID, I would go to magic games and the place was like half full. I feel like Tampa would support a team. They'd put a winner here, just like they with the bucks, just like they've done with the Rays. I mean, the Rays are winning with the lowest payroll in baseball. Right. I mean, Incredible you know, we, we build winning sports teams here and, and man, I just think it'd be such a great thing to have an NBA basketball team. So I'm. Look, if anyone wants to put someone on the board to advocate for an NBA basketball team, please hit me up. I'm I'm all in. <laughs> I would love to have an NBA basketball team. I think it'd be I think it'd be exceptional to uh, for our area. I think it'd bring a lot of growth, a lot of economic benefit. Um, so that's uh, that's the last thing before we jump to the break that I think we need. So someone, someone, Mr. Vinick, please help make that happen. Yeah, so, that would be fantastic. Anyway, we appreciate you tuning in. When we aren't on air, follow us on all of our socials at the Duncan Duo, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, TikTok. We're on all of them. So hit us up at the Duncan Duo for anything real estate related. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in and have an awesome rest of your Sunday.